Oh, holy God, we give you thanks for this time to gather together and worship. We give you thanks for beautiful music that touches our heart. Lord God, we pray for open minds now as we open your holy word. As we listen for what it is that you will say to us this day. For it is in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah, the 65th chapter, reading verses 17 through 23. Listen for God's word. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. The one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. And from the New Testament, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 13, found on page 47. After a long list of events to come, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, and plague, Jesus says this, beginning in verse 24. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give up its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. 
I hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving at my house with three generations gathered around the table with grandchildren, hugs and kisses, and the grandchildren brought me a head cold to share. <coughs> so I hope you will pray for the preacher more than usual this morning. It is Advent, the first Sunday of a season of anticipation, of preparation, of openness to the mystery of God's gift to us of the Messiah. Out in the community, this period is basically known as how many shopping days are left. Our TV and our radios are full of talk about how to get that bargain and how to have the perfect Christmas. There are plenty of people ready to tell us exactly what to do, what to buy, what to wear, how to decorate, so everything will be perfect. And if that is what we listen to, we're going to be bounced around like a ping pong ball in a tornado. What I want us this morning to do is to think about how to have a good Advent instead of worrying about the impossible, a perfect Christmas. To think about the next few weeks not as simply constant preparation for surprises under a tree, but as a time of openness for daily surprises of God at work among us. How to have a good Advent. The first Sunday of Advent has some strange scripture passages to read. They are frightening texts. They all talk about the end of things, the last days, the apocalypse which is the Greek word for revelation, for unveiling of what is to come. But apocalypse has come to mean in our language storm and drong, death, destruction, planes falling from the sky, plagues and earthquakes. Apocalypse is found in just a few places in the Bible. It's there in the latter half of Daniel as the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great has conquered all the known world and the Greeks have ordered that only one religion, theirs, may be tolerated. It's there in the revelation of John as Rome is now the conqueror and Rome has declared war on the fledgling Christian church. And it's in Mark chapter 13. And the setting of Mark 13 is that Jesus and the disciples have gone up to Jerusalem and the disciples who are country boys, they are small town fellows, are standing outside of Solomon's grand temple. And they are ooing and eyeing and pointing and tapping each other and look at this and look at that. And Jesus thinks that they are way too impressed with the real estate, with real estate that is bound to change. For you and I know well that tall towers will collapse and the entire earth will be shaken. And Jesus knows this too, that even the grandest human structures are only temporary. 
So Jesus quotes from Daniel about the sun turning dark and the stars falling from the sky before the culmination of God's plans. Apocalypse, language about the end of all things. Now we've all come across texts and books and maybe articles of someone who has decided to take the clues in these passages in scripture and predict the end of time. It's been going on for centuries. 1000 AD there was an explosion of predictions about the culmination of all human history. And it comes every hundred years or so. The thing that I notice that is constant in each of these is that the writer always assumes that his enemies are the enemies of God and that he and his team are God's favorite people. The predictions never come true but they do remind us that God has not left us behind Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away, says Jesus. God has not forgotten us. Jesus, who is in our past, is also in our future. That's the central theme of these passages. The Son of Man will come for us. Be alert, keep awake, do not lose hope. Learn the lesson of the fig tree, which is a head-scratcher for me. I am not sure what the lesson of the fig tree is. A few years ago, I planted a fig tree in my yard. I dug the hole. I put that beautiful little plant there. I fertilized it. I watered it. It sprouted up these wonderful green sprouts. And the deer came and had a feast and ate every leaf off my fig tree. So the next year I was ready and when it came out of the ground I had that can of deer repellent and I just poured it all over and it repelled the deer for about five minutes and then they came and ate every leaf off my fig tree. So the next year I got desperate and I found black netting that is five feet tall and I built a fence around my fig tree. The deer could not get to it. And it sprang up six, seven feet tall, beautiful, big leaves. And the book said I was supposed to prune it, and so I very carefully pruned, and the whole thing died all the way back to the ground. (laughs) But the fifth year, it sprang up, it had the fence around it, it went up six or seven feet, and there was a fig on one limb. So after five years, I had my first harvest, and I picked a fig from the fig tree. So I think the lesson of the fig tree is patience. Patience. There are seasons, some warm and some cold. There are predators and varmints that take a toll. But when the spring comes and the roots are deep, the tree will bloom, and the fig tree will produce its fruit. Be alert, keep watch, live in hope. The lesson of the fig tree. Now to me the really amazing thing about these apocalyptic passages in scripture is that there are two different kinds. 
There is the kind that we most often hear, the one that shows up in Hollywood with locusts and plagues and earthquakes and armies battling each other. But there is a second stream in these passages. The second kind speaks joyfully to us about where we are headed, about the final goal, about the place where death shall be no more, neither crying nor pain. It is the place where the man from Nazareth waits for us, and he is in charge. Jesus is in our future. God intends to create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people a delight. No more will they bear children for calamity. I love that description. No more children born to die of Ebola because the town is too poor to have a hospital. No more children born to die on the road fleeing wars while trying to cross a border to get to safety. No more children born to be sold into various kinds of modern slavery. No more children born to be shot at the high school by a fellow student. No more children born to be kidnapped by the Lord's Resistance Army of Uganda or the Islamic State marching in Syria. No more. No more. God will create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people a joy. Jesus is in our future and not just in our past. This is the second kind of apocalypse, of revelation about what God intends to do and about where we are headed. And I think we find in these passages real guidance for how to have a good advent In our climate, Advent is a season of darkness. The days are getting shorter, and so we often talk about the light. Advent does not hide from the darkness or trouble. It does not try to wallpaper over it with jolliness or jingle bells. We know there is suffering in our lives and in this world. We know there are wars and rumors of wars. But Jesus says we are to keep alert, to watch, to lift up our heads and watch the fig tree for signs of life, even signs of spring. So Advent is about daily anticipation of what God intends to do. A good Advent is one where we yearn toward the kingdom that is coming and we wait with hope, with patient hope living out its values even now in the middle of dark and stormy days. A good advent is built on the promises of God. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. These words stand now and they shall later be written all over the walls of the new Jerusalem. Love one another as I have loved you. Forgive 70 times 7, for life is too short for grudges. When you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. Pray without ceasing. 
Pray even for those who persecute you. Sing a new song to the Lord. A good Advent helps us day by day to live out the values of the Messiah who has come once and who will come again. Next week we will host Caritas. Homeless families will stay in our building. We will be there, the ones who cook the food and do the laundry. We will read stories to the children and play games. And we will do so knowing that in the new Jerusalem we shall all be neighbors. And so we live that out in this Advent season. We will go caroling in the dark. We will go out and sing about the light of the world. And we will go to the homes of shut-ins and those who are ill, maybe to a retirement community, to let people know they are not forgotten. We're going to go down in Carytown and stand on the street corner and sing to strangers. Because this is the world that God loves. In a good Advent, we sit at the table with our families and together we read the stories about the prophets and John the Baptist, shepherds and angels and wise men from the East. We help our children know the gift of God's love day by day and to know that joy comes when we share this gift with each other. That is a good advent. When we live by the words of the patient psalmist, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the dawn, more than the gardener for the spring. So when the TV commercials tell us to hurry up, let us slow down and, and breathe and appreciate this day when the stresses start building up and we're afraid we have to keep up with some standard of perfection, let us let go and let God. Instead of worrying about how many surprises come later, let us notice the gifts of this day. To sit by the window in the morning and to look out at the fig tree to breathe in the peace that God gives daily instead of breathing in the stress that we are not measuring up to somebody else's standard of perfection. We will listen in this Advent for the small voices of angels we have heard on high. And by doing so, we will make room in our lives and our schedules and our hearts for God's Messiah who is coming. That's what makes a good Advent. It is something we do together. We worship together in hope. Together we breathe in the peace. Together we sing for joy. Together we practice generosity. And here and there, there are these wonderful moments when we stop and we notice the people around us and we pay attention to them now 
When we step up to that checkout counter and that harried person who's over there flashing all the items by, we look at them and we say, how are you today? How is your day going? There are two kinds of apocalyptic literature. One tells of the troubles all along the way. We know about those troubles. And the other sings of the joy that lies ahead. Both of them declare that God is in charge and that God alone is going to write the final scenes of our story. Whether the Messiah comes to us or we go to him, God is going to create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people a joy. We do not have to make things turn out right or perfect. God is going to do that. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the dawn, more than the gardener for the spring. Oh, people of God, hope in the Lord. For with God there is steadfast love and mercy now and until the kingdom comes and the fig tree blooms at last. Thanks be to God.